we are continuing in our series, uh, Better Together, uh, which is very much looking at what, it, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to be the people of God? Uh, Trevor helped us some weeks ago now. It's amazing how, how the weeks go by, but we're looking at being an apostolic people, a people who are being sent, people who are going. Um, uh, Ashley shared with us about being the church, the people of God. He gave a real overview uh, of what that meant. Uh, Donna was speaking to us about a devotion to mission and, and on our worship to God uh, a week or so ago. Last week, it was interesting how God just broke in among us and really just this whole thing about mothers and fathers. And I want to pick up something of, again, uh, that theme today and talking about diversity, diversity in the heart of God. And I want to read two scriptures, both very, very well known. One is in Acts, one is in Ephesians, and then we're also going to go across into Isaiah in just a moment. But Mark, let's look at Mark. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 and uh, verse 15. Did we manage to keep the slides? Yeah, we did from last week. Very good. Verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem. So this is the what's famously known as the triumphal entry. Jesus has come in on the donkey. There's Hosanna in the highest. Do you remember the palm branches? On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? You have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd were amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And then uh, Ephesians chapter 2, which is also a scripture that um, Ashley read to us uh, two or three weeks ago now. Just going to read a part of this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, therefore called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father, 
by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious truth. This glorious truth. And we just say, Holy Spirit, would you help us not just to hear it in our heads through our ears, but to receive this truth deep into our hearts. Our position in you, but also, therefore, how you have treated us that we might treat others, that we might reach to others. Lord, we pray, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Diversity is in the heart of God. The question is, do we believe that? And if we do, what does it actually mean for us? You see, I think it's possible, and the reason I think it's possible because I know it in my own heart and my own life. I think it's possible to come to a prayer meeting and to pray, Lord, save the lost. Or even to pray, bring in the lost. And we've prayed that. I've prayed that. And yet when he does, when he does begin to bring in people, in my mind, if not in my actions, I can find myself judging, criticizing, even rejecting, especially if they're not like me. I've been really struck, some of you will know, I've been doing some reading on revival just recently. I've just felt really prompted. Revival is a word that's being used a lot uh, at the moment. Over this last year, I've heard it mentioned more than I have for years. And I've been doing some reading. But one of the things that strikes me as I've been reading a, a potted history of revival, and it's really surprised me, is that time and time again, revival begins to come, maybe through the ministry of a man or a woman, or through a small group of people, and many hundreds, sometimes thousands, are swept in to the kingdom of God. But what happens is that that man, that woman, or that small group seem quite often to fall out with the church they were in at the time. Or new movements and, and, and new families spring up. And it's almost like as God sweeps in uh, people in his purposes, those who are already in the people of God can't quite take it on board, can't quite accept it, or don't know what to do with all these new people who are coming from maybe a non-church background. It's very interesting to see the changes that happen. I've got a question today. It's a bit of an unusual question. But actually, sadly, I think there is a range of answers to it. Who is allowed in God's house? Who's allowed in God's house? Now you say, surely everyone. But I grew up, uh, some of you will know, when I was a child, I grew up in a very, very strict church. My mum and dad actually were very open and secretly, would, I was telling uh, Sarah yesterday, we used to secretly go down to Leap Beach. We weren't allowed to go to the beach, 
So where was the furthest place from Winchester that had a beach that was hidden that no one would ever see you? Well, that was Leap. So we used to drive to Leap and secretly swim in the sea, which you might think is very sad, but we had a great time. So, um, but I, I was in a very, very strict church. It had lots and rules and regulations, particularly about those who were allowed in God's house. So much so that I can remember, and this is absolutely true, even though you find it hard to believe, at one stage they paid for guards to be on the gates of the church in order to decide who would be allowed in to church. It's a true story. And yet God, our Father, says something so different. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, all people. I'd like us to read the context of that verse that Jesus quotes. Uh, It's Isaiah, Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, some unusual words in here, but I want to unpack them. Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my walls, uh, my temple and its walls, a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations." The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. The great prophetic heart's cry of God through the prophet Isaiah is taken up by Jesus. And brothers and sisters, it is good news for all of us. Why? Because we have a place in the house of God. We are fully welcome. See, that was not always the case. Before we judge anyone else, before we look at others, we need to look deeply into our own hearts, into our own motives and attitudes. You see, for every single one of us here in this room, unless there is someone who was born a Jew here that I'm not aware of, and you're very welcome if that's the case, but for most of us here, this statement that Jesus makes is so important to us. Because we read in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible describing us as foreigners, aliens, Gentiles, those excluded from the godly promise. In fact, Paul goes as far as to say, without hope and without God. We're in a mess. We're in a proper mess. But the glorious truth of the gospel is this. Whoever we are, wherever we're from, whatever our nation, whatever our tribe, whatever our language, whatever our gender, whatever our background, 
whatever our education, God has made a way through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. He's made a way for us to know him. He's made a way for us to be at home with him, to have a living relationship with him that will last forever. Somebody needs to smile and somebody needs to say hallelujah. It's God's heart. It's God's heart that that relationship will not just be a, oh, phew, thank goodness for that, but it was one that will give us great joy, great joy. See, to all those who turn, surrender their lives to him, there will be a place and there will be a name in God's house, in his presence. It's an eternal place. It's an eternal name and it will never be taken away. So even just as an aside, we'll come back to the eunuchs in a moment, but if you're not able to have children, if you say, what about the family line, which of course would have been the case for eunuchs, I'll explain more in a moment, but he's saying it's better than sons and daughters, it's even better than your family name. Some of us are into the family line and all of that, but it, even if you, the family line, you say our oh, family line's about to fizzle out, no it isn't, your name is kept eternally, eternally. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. It's important for us to understand that at the very foundation of our faith, there are no limitations to the love and the mercy of God. There is no person outside of his grace and his mercy. Hallelujah. I thank God for that. Otherwise, I would be lost. As we heard from Donna a couple of weeks ago now, there's something that is distinctly different to every human being from nature and from animals. Okay? So nature and animals, yes, we recognize that there is something that they're displaying of God. We believe that it comes from, all comes from the Creator, but there is a distinctiveness about humanity. Male and female, He made them in His image. So when the Heavenly Father looks at us, whoever we are, Whatever our condition, whatever our gender, whatever our background, whatever our status, he looks at us differently than he does the rest of creation. I'm not going to get into are there animals in heaven and is my pet dog and all the rest of those things. But I do remember, even this morning, I was just as praying through my notes and reflecting on this. We had a visit from an African pastor, a very dear friend from Uganda, used to come over to us. He's in fact just been in the UK again just recently. He's part of a different family of churches. But he came and he made a profound statement to us at at Swindon some years ago. He said, uh, I don't think he really realized what he was saying, but he 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 said this. He said, you seem to honor your dogs and your pets more highly than people. And there's an observation of a man from another nation in terms of how we are towards our pets and, our, uh, and other things. Now, receive that as you want to, that I'm quoting a man who observes something. I think he observes something quite profound in terms of the, you know, the honoring of culture, honoring of uh, older generations and so on that you find in other cultures that sometimes is lost here. You honor your dogs and your pets sometimes more than people. Wow, what an indictment, eh? Now, this heart of God has implications. It says implications for us individually, has implications for us as a church. 
I came across quite a challenging quote uh, this last week from a pastor in America who uh, many across New Frontiers world know quite well. He's written a number of books. He's spoken at a number of our conferences. Uh, um, He's a personal friend of Terry Virgo. His name's uh, Bob Roberts. He's a very interesting man because God has led him into an incredible ministry. He is now uh, one of the best friends of some of the most senior Muslim imams in the world. He literally meets with them, speaks with them, prays with them, even speaks at some of their conferences. He's an astonishing man, and God has given him an open door. Um, But he has a profound uh, love and witness uh, for uh, the Muslim world and other faiths. But he said this, and I, I just really dwelt on it. He said, I think we might actually have it. He said, what is made in God's image must be revered. How can I hate, despise, vilify someone created in God's image? My only response must be love. If I'm really honest, and that's what we need to be, personally I find this very challenging. I'll apply it again in a bit, but it's challenging. You see, our treatment of those, including in our thinking, who are not like us, who are different to us, says a lot about our understanding of God's heart towards us. You know, I know I am so quick to judge, so quick to judge, even to condemn. And yet, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says... While I was dead in my sin and in the uncircumcision of my heart. Let me stop there just for a moment. Not only was I a Gentile, I was a foreigner and an alien. I was also outside of the promises of God. My whole being, my body, mind and spirit was corrupted by sin. I was utterly dead. And yet, while I was in that state... God made me, made you, made us alive with Christ. While we were in that state, we were dead. There was nothing in us towards God. He made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, the list of charges that were justly against us stood against us and condemned us. He took it away. What did he do with it? He nailed it to the cross through the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hallelujah. The Father accepted me when I should have been cast out. When I should have been condemned. The Father accepted me. Now we read in these verses from Isaiah 56, he speaks of these two unusual phrases, one of which we can sort of understand, one some of you you may never even have heard the words. He speaks of eunuchs and foreigners. Let's just understand what the heart of God is being spoken of here. Foreigners, well, okay, they were non-Jews, Gentiles, people of other races and nations, So, outsiders, outside of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. 
But God clearly says in verses 7 and 8 of uh, Isaiah 56, they will be brought in. They will have a place. They will have a name. They will not be nameless ones. It's you and I, by the way, he's speaking about, of course. Their name will be known in the house of God eternally. Now, some of you will have moved around in different nations of the world. Some of you are from different nations of the world. But you will know we have, even in our family of churches in regions beyond, perhaps particular in Africa or uh, in India, there are people who would literally say, I'm not sure what my real name is. I'm not exactly sure where I was born. The, the young man that Donna works uh, very closely with, you know, we know him as Marungwa, but he doesn't know his birthday. They made one. They made one for him. Um, by God's grace, he's able to get a passport and he's been able to travel. But that's quite normal. His mother and father died in the Rwandan-Burundi genocide. Uh, he didn't know, doesn't know his birth date. He only knows certain things. There are many, many people like that in the world. I, I'm not sure. I don't have a birth certificate. I don't have a passport. Now, you can imagine in that context, for those kinds of people, that can cause a great deal of stigma, insecurity, and pain. But I want to say that even in our own context, even within this room here today, potentially, there are those of us who can feel similar kind of emotion. Whether that be due to abandonment, rejection, trauma, abuse, bullying, many other factors can happen. All sorts of reasons we can feel outside, on the edge, alone, misunderstood, without, without a name or without a context. God says to you today, he says to those that we're reaching out to across the world, he says, you have a place in my home. Hallelujah. You're welcome. You can come in. More than that, I want to give you a special name. I want to give you, uh, within my temple and within my walls, a memorial, a name that is better than sons and daughters. Now, he's talking there to eunuchs. We'll come back to that at a moment. But if you like, there's a special plaque. There's a plaque being put up. God's given you, and your name is on it. It's your plaque. You can go in, as it were, to the house of the Lord. Say, look, there's my name. Yes, it's in the Lamb's Book of Life, but here in Isaiah, there's a plaque in the house of God with your name on. How wonderful. It's an everlasting name. It's a name that will endure. There was a guy that I spent quite a bit of time with uh, in, a, in, a, in a previous church. He had a number of significant challenges in his life, both emotional and health uh, challenges. One of the challenges for him is he really, really didn't like his name. It was in part because it was tied up with a major traumatic event that had happened to him in his earlier life. It was connected to that. And so a bit later in life, he, he changed his name when I knew him. He changed his name. He'd, he'd been known as one name for some years uh, in the local church setting there, and he changed his name. The problem with that, as you can well imagine, was that some people just would forget that he changed his name. Uh, or either that he had changed it or they couldn't remember which one they were now supposed to call him. 
Now, thankfully, he's a dear man, and he had quite a sense of humor. He was a very dry sense of humor, but he didn't, he didn't mind. He had a lot of grace. He was very forgiving, and, and people would go, oh, and he would, just, he would play with them and all sorts of things. Right? He, in all his pain and, and suffering, and he, he, yeah, I could, he was a dear man, dear man. He's now with the Lords, and a uh, very best place to be. But it's challenging. Before the throne of God, there will be no nameless ones. No nameless ones. For each one of us who are believers, who've surrendered our lives to the Lordship of Christ, not only is our name written in the book of life, Isaiah says our name will be known in the house of God eternally. That's only because of his grace and his mercy to us. Amen? So why do we find, why do I find myself judging or rejecting others. He also speaks of eunuchs. Now eunuchs represent those who are physically damaged or mutilated. We might say today, those who are disabled in some way. Some of you will know, some of you won't know, but it's talking about an ancient practice where men would be castrated their sexual organs would be removed so that they could become guards and servants in the women's living areas in what would, of course, be called a harem in the eastern court. But these would also be the people who would be considered, of course, to be outcasts, outsiders. And certainly in terms of faith, in terms of uh, Jewish religion and so on, they would be utterly disqualified by the religious leaders of their day from being part of the people of God. They would not be able, they would, there would be no entrance, there would be no access for them to come in, as it were, to God's house. But again, through the prophet Isaiah, God is clearly declaring his salvation includes everyone, foreigners and eunuchs, as well as those who are exiled, even his own people who are far off. Those who are far off will be brought near. His saving grace reaches out to the furthest person and the furthest place, even to the physically mutilated and to the Gentiles. The Father accepts those that others cast out. No one is excluded from salvation because of race, nationality, tribe, color, economic condition, or disability. Salvation is available to any person who is ready to put their trust in Jesus and serve him out of obedience to the Father. You need to read these verses carefully in Isaiah 56. He's not just saying, oh, anybody can just come in, but it's those who are seeking his face. It is those who are turning in obedience, those who are honoring his name. Uh, but, it, but it's an open heart to all those who will come, all those who are turning he receives. Of course, Jesus knew this. He knew why he'd come. He knew he'd come to seek and save that which was lost. Matthew 28, he commissions his disciples, doesn't he? He makes it plain who this commission is towards. Matthew 28, do you remember it? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of the Jews. Is that what he said? Therefore, go and make disciples of this group or that nation. No. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus knew God's heart was for all nations, all people, which is why this righteous anger rose up within him. He found the court of the Gentiles, as it was known at that time, was full of religious people, but they were buying and selling and changing money. They'd filled it up literally with religious uh, memorabilia uh, and money-changing practices, pretending to go about worship, but basically it was a marketplace. They turned it into a religious marketplace and a money-making place. Open access to God and to his presence had been cut off. It had been cut off, though, to those who most needed it. Those who already, as it were, considered themselves to be in because they were already under the covenant, they were the people of Abraham, but they were cutting off the very ones who needed the access. You can feel the anger, can't you, of Christ rising, rising up. God had graciously and wonderfully, always through Scripture, and we can track this, God is opening his heart. After the fall, there is this broken connection, but immediately God is looking for ways, and he's he's looking for ways all the time to to display a heart towards all. Yes, there are those he's chosen. Yes, there's those he's picked out. But his heart, we can so clearly see right the way through the Bible, is one that is towards all. All nations. And so in the the tabernacle, the tent in the desert, and then of course the temple, people could have access to them. They they could come near and not be far off. Now of course there were barriers, there were walls, there were separations. Only one person could come once a year, ultimately into the Holy of Holies. There were divisions. There were inner courts and outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the men, and Holy of Holies and so on. Paul, if you remember about a year ago, Uh, shared a number of pictures and showed us something of that. But we can clearly see from Isaiah, it was always God's heart that access, even a place, would be made for those who loved his name and who longed to worship him. And certainly in Jesus' time, uh, that we're speaking about the outer courts of the temple, they were that prophetic sign They were a picture of God's heart. The outer court was actually to be displaying God's heart, a place where all could come. They could come near, a house of prayer for all nations. But Jesus arrives and he finds the Father's house being used in a totally different way to that which it had been dedicated for. And this righteous anger of God rises up against those uh, who are filling it up, pushing out, pushing away, those who most needed that access. So, what lessons can we learn from this? Firstly, for each one of us, there is a great assurance. Nothing can separate us from the love and salvation that the Father holds out to us. There's an assurance for each one of us. If we're, we're doubting our background, we're doubting our situation, I think one of the words that came this morning... Uh, can I, is it possible? Yes, it is possible for you. Yes, there is access for you. 
You can come in. God's house is open to you. If you will surrender your life to Christ, if you will walk in obedience to Him, God says, you're welcome. Come in. Whatever our background, whatever our past, whatever our tribe, whatever our culture, whatever our disability, great assurance for each one of us today. None of us have to discount ourselves. But then secondly, another application is this. We must not put up barriers to people that God does not put up. We need to see people as God sees them. As a child growing up in the 60s and 70s, growing up in a, in a very white, middle-class, southern southern England town, I grew up in, a, in an atmosphere that I wouldn't have recognized at the time, but now know it as an atmosphere of racism and misogyny, an atmosphere where many of the other isms and phobias that might get mentioned today, that was part of the world that I lived in. It was normal. Numbers of times over the years as I began, as God grew me and as I got discipled, I, I had to repent for totally wrong attitudes that were far from the heart of God and do not belong in his church. I want to say this, racism does not belong in the church of God. It absolutely does not belong. It's one of the things that, that fires me strongly. Some of my dearest and closest friends are people of other nations. One of the things I want to say about those of other nations is we absolutely need them. We need people from other backgrounds and cultures that are different to us because it may surprise you, it surprised me as a younger man, but not everybody is like me and not everybody worships like I do and yet they have a place in the house of God. And so actually when people of other nations or other backgrounds or other sexes, gender, economic background, educational background, if they're missing in the church, we are missing the full worship of God. And that's why I love it when we have that diversity because it fills out our worship and it fills out our understanding of God. I don't know if I'm pressing buttons today. I know these kinds of words are pressed buttons in me historically, and I had to work it through. I thought, because I'm me and my background, I know all there is to know about God. Do you know, Mark, that is bunker. I know a tiny, tiny little part about God through the, the lens of my, my history and my walk with God. And yet when I come alongside another sister from another nation and another economic background, she begins, she begins to show to me a whole area of the nature and heart of God I never saw before. And so I, I, I think I need a church building and it looks like this and it looks like that and we do this in this church building and that church building and then I find myself under a tree by a river and, and women of God are gathering and they say, and they begin to sing the praises of God. No building, no lectern, no nothing, but God is there and my heart gets opened and I go, I never knew God was like, this, this is a whole area Brothers and sisters, we absolutely need to be with and alongside and have as our friends those who are not like us. 
And if all the people you know are all like you, I want to encourage you, look for someone who's not like you. But that's the place of challenge. Come to that in just a second as we finish. See, I'm not saying that we should accept sin. Are you saying, Mark, therefore, we just let anybody and everybody, anybody and everyone can come? Are you saying we let in sin? Are you saying that we accept sin? No, I am not. Do we water down truth? Do we water down the commands of the Bible? No, we believe in the complete and utter total content of the Bible. Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. Woman, where are those who condemn you? They all seem to have left when he invited them to cast the first stone if they didn't have any sin. But you need to know what Jesus said. Neither do I condemn you. Leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't condemn her. He received her. His heart was open to the woman caught in adultery. But he also said to her, leave your life of sin. He didn't accept her sin. The law at the time was that she could be stoned. He didn't question that law, whatever we might think about it. But he he received her and invited her to a walk of obedience. The rich young ruler, he's done everything. Everything, I've done it all. I've kept all the laws and all the commands, absolutely everything. One thing. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Come follow me. It's challenging. It's provoking. What does it say? He went away sad because he was very rich. So we're not saying, yeah, 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 it's fine. Come in with your sin and, and, you know, and, and, you know, just live in your sin. No, we're not saying live in your sin. We're saying the door to God's loving, gracious, merciful, just and righteous heart is open to all. But there is a call to walk in holiness. But that starts with each one of us. Before we do that, we need to recognize those others that are straight back at us. We need to see each person as our Heavenly Father sees them, as He saw us while we were still far off, dead in our sins, and not put up barriers. Just as I close, those barriers will be different for different ones of us. As I said, when I was a young boy, my family went to a very strict church, lots of rules about who was welcome. That's called legalism. Some of us know that. We know that background. Many of us will have come from that kind of background We may, some of us, even still carry in our heads lists of things that you're supposed to do to be a Christian. Do you hear how I put that? List of things you're supposed to do to be a Christian. Or these are the things you need to do before God will accept you. Ashley and I were talking the other day about baptism, about uh, people asking for baptism and both the church that he and I grew up in. You had to then live a good Christian life for at least a year before they would baptize you. Is that what happened on the day of Pentecost? Which I'm going to do as a grand telling on June the 8th. Repent, believe, be baptized today. Now walk in, now walk in the truth of that. But we can put up barriers of laws. You need to be like this and you ought to be like that and you should be like that. Brothers and sisters, it's called legalism. It's a barrier. There is truth in the word of God and the spirit of God will reveal it to people. We need to help them to know that. But another barrier we can choose 
to do, to put up, is to limit our witness. You say, what, what, what do you mean, limit our witness? We need to be aware of finding ourselves saying, I will share my faith with this one, but not with that one because of their background, because of their tribe, because of their disability or their colour or their gender. I'm prepared to go to this nation or that people group, but not to this nation or that people group because they don't deserve it or they're not the right kind of person. You say, Mark, surely no Christian would ever say that. Just want you to, as we begin to finish now and we're closing, just want you to think for a moment. Maybe close your eyes and think. Think about the person that you find the most odd or the most weird or the person that makes you the most cross angry, frustrated. Think about them. What if the Holy Spirit began to speak to you about making friends with one of them? Diversity is in the heart of the Father. His heart is open to all. And as his witnesses, he's commissioned us to go and to reach all nations, all people. We have a wonderful message to tell, and it is for everyone. Who are those that are considered to be an outcast or on the edge or the margins, even in cows? On the island? In your workplace or your neighborhood what do you see when you look at such people how does God see such people as Jesus walks into the temple of your life today what does he see are there barriers and walls towards certain people What ways might your thinking, your actions need to change? Remember, formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. At that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. He's made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, one new humanity out of the two and thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I come to my own life, I come to my own thinking and my actions where I, is there hostility? I say, Holy Spirit, would you show me hostility? Hostility? 
hostility in my heart towards other nations, other cultures, other people not like me. Help me to bring that hostility to the place of the cross where you put to death that hostility. Yes, biblical terms are hostility between Jew and Gentile, but it's a principle. Hostility. The brokenness in society between husband and wife, between men and women, between employers and employees, political parties, nations and nations, attitudes of the heart. Help us today, Holy Spirit, to put to death that hostility as we come again to the cross. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him, The whole body is joined together. Heavenly Father, we pray that in Christ, this body would grow and grow in him. Be joined together. Lord, where there's hostility, even among us, however it might uh, work itself out, may we be united in Christ. In this town, may there be unity. We pray for this event on June the 8th. Lord, there there are things that are very, very different about some of these other brothers and sisters than to me. And yet you've said that I died, that you might come together in my name. You might honour my name and know my name. Lord, I pray that even on June the 8th, as we spend three quarters of an hour just worshipping simply together, praying some prayers together and opening your scripture together, Lord, I pray that that unity that you are working, Lord, would command a blessing. A blessing for your glory, for your name joined together, rising to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we might be a people in which you live by your Holy Spirit. And that 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 unity and that display would be displayed in our heart and attitude towards those who are different to us, not like us. Lord, help us to be those who both reach out to and receive those who are different to us, that we might be for your display and your glory and your splendor, as we ask it in your precious name. Amen.